I have the responsibility as a human rights lawyer, as an intellectual, um, and I also have the responsibility of the, as, a, as a husband, as a, a son and dad. Human rights is an undeniable problem in China. The detention and lack of due process for Uyghurs in Xinjiang and the breakdown of one country, two systems in Hong Kong are just the latest headlines. The lack of freedom of speech and free press, as well as many other human rights abuses, affect everyday citizens across the country. Despite this situation, or perhaps because of it, some people in China still choose to be human rights lawyers. They fight every day for justice in a system that makes up its own rules. Tang Biao is one of these fighters. He grew up in a rural village, but did well enough on his exams to attend law school at Peking University, eventually getting his PhD in 2002. He's now living in the United States, where he teaches at Hunter College in New York City. I talked to him earlier this year at USC before his lecture on the human rights situation in China. You can find a link to that lecture in the show notes. From the USC US China Institute, this is China Life, the podcast sharing the stories of people living and working in China. I'm your host, Craig Steubing. I was born in Jilin province, northeast part of China, and um, I grew up in a very, very poor family, in a very, very poor village. And then uh, I went to Beida, Peking University, actually the number one university in China. Before I went to the university, I was brainwashed. So I was not able to think independently, um, like most, the vast majority of Chinese students uh, were brainwashed. And we were taught to believe everything that the Communist Party um, tells us. Did you realize you were brainwashed? Some students from from Shanghai, from Beijing, brought some books um, uh, that are illegal in China. So it's uh, underground books. And from those books, I gradually realized that I had been cheated um, brainwashed for for so many years. Yeah, since I was a little little kid. How was that brainwashing? What was that like? Was it things you read, things you were told, things you watched? All the teachers are brainwashed too, um, and so the, the the you know the the censorship, the propaganda of the Communist Party is quite effective. And we have no access to the information, the books, articles uh, that is critical to the government. So, um, so we had no choice and only um, to believe what the teachers, the textbooks um, to- told us. So when you first got into university, you know, from this, you know, the best university in China, from this small village, your family must have been pretty excited. They were so proud of me, but they um, never expected that I would become a um, human rights lawyer or a political dissident. But one thing I, I learned from my family, from my parents, is to be uh, honest to, to, to myself uh, and uh, to, to love uh, the, the, the people. Uh, even even though we uh, live in uh, poverty, extreme poverty, but I um, 
I, I learned to, to love people and to be honest to, to myself. I think that, that's one of the reasons I became a human rights activist. Did you know what you were getting yourself into? Mm, no, almost nothing. <laughs> Uh, when I when I uh, went to law school, I had no idea about uh, law or politics or, or human rights. And I, in the law school, uh, most professors didn't talk about uh, the sensitive topics. They didn't. We we don't have a course um, titled human rights, um, and the, it's a it, it kind of taboo. Um, almost every. Uh, professor uh, avoided these sensitive topics, not religious persecution, not Tiananmen, not Tibetan or Uyghur or, or Sidan democracy war movement. But a few professors were so brave to talk about this and they gave uh, lectures at Beida and in their class, they discussed these sensitive issues with students. That's the, one of the reasons I, um, I realized the, the importance of human rights and democracy. And, uh, and I read a lot of books about uh, Western-style uh, democracy and, and, and freedom. Since 1999, I uh, started my PhD program, and I had two close friends. Um, uh, Yu Jiang and Xu Zhiyong. So we discussed these uh, human rights issues every week. Um, and we, we became uh, best friends. And then immediately after we became a lecturer, we were involved in a very, very influential case. So Sun Zigang was a designer uh, living in uh, Guangzhou, but he didn't have a Guangzhou hukou. He didn't bring his uh, temporary uh, ID, and then he was taken to the local um, custody and repatriation detention center. And three days later, he was tortured to death. And this was reported by Southern Metropolitan newspaper, and it aroused a, a, a national debate. And so many people were angry at this um, this culture and repatriation system. And then we uh, three uh, wrote a public letter to the National Congress to challenge the constitutionality of this uh, regulation. It's obviously violates uh, the constitution. Eventually, the, the, the government abolished this regulation. So it was um, a rare success, and it was very uh, influential. But to our surprise, uh, we were not punished by the government for, the, for this open letter. And we were even given uh, a award by uh, the Ministry of Justice. And later on, uh, this case uh, was seen by scholars as the start of Weichuan Yundong, the rights defense movement. But even though you had that early success, things started to get hard for you, right? We continue our human rights work and then and then the government was not happy, obviously, and we got trouble. And, and I, I funded a couple of uh, human rights organizations. I dealt with many, many uh, cases, that politically sensitive cases related to uh, freedom of, of expression, um, religious freedom, torture, death penalty, forced abortion, uh, forced demolition, 
and Tibetan and Uyghurs, all these kind of uh, political cases or human rights cases. And, and then um, I paid my, my bills. Like um, I was banned from teaching for a few times and, and uh, I was disbarred. Uh, my, my lawyer's license was taken away and I was put under house arrest from time to time. I was, um, my, my passport was confiscated um, and um, I was uh, kidnapped by Chinese secret police and, and disappeared for, for three times. Um, and I was mentally and uh, physically tortured. Did they tell you that they wanted you to stop? Yeah. Um, so I was uh, kidnapped on the street and they put a, a, a hood on my head and took me into a car and, and detained me in uh, like a hotel. I had no idea of my whereabouts. And um, they printed my articles, my uh, interviews, and in, they interrogate me. They actually, they, they threatened that uh, uh, you have committed a crime of um, incitement of state version, uh, like uh, overthrow the government. Um, and you might be sentenced to uh, 10 years. Was there ever a point where you thought maybe you should stop? Um, so they intimidated me and they, they tortured me uh, in order to, to silence me and to stop me. And for a few times, I was forced to write the, the, the promise, uh, the promises. I, uh, like, uh, I give up my human rights cases. I won't take any human rights cases. I won't write articles uh, critical of the government. I won't um, contact other human rights activists, all these kind of things. And I had no choice. I had to, to make these uh, written uh, promises. But I, after I was released, I never kept these promises and <laughs> continued my, my, my human rights work. Then uh, I made the, the government uh, more angry. If I follow my principle, if I continue my human rights work, that's my, uh, my dream, that's my calling. But, but my work is harming not only myself, but also my, my family, my loved ones. Uh, so it's, it's hard to, to balance. But I never thought to give up. There was never a point where you thought this would be so much easier for my family, for myself? Um, never. Um, first, I am very clear that what I have been doing is correct. And um, the more harassment I got, the more correct uh, my, uh, my cause is. But uh, it also made me uh, painful because I have to take care of my, my family. So I have the responsibility as a human rights lawyer, as an intellectual. Um, and I also have the responsibility of the, as, a, as a husband, as a, a son and dad. That kind of dilemma, it, 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 it seems to be a, a, a dilemma to me. It's the, the most difficult thing to, to handle. Does your wife understand why you do this? Yeah, my uh, human rights work brought a lot of trouble to her. 
she was fired and she is not able to go back to uh, her home country. And later on, when my uh, when I came to the United States, my wife and one of my daughters were uh, prevented from uh, leaving China. So they were used by Chinese government as hostages in order to punish me and silence me. Eventually, we had no choice, so we decided to smuggle them out. But um, she's very supportive of my, my work. Um, uh, she knows uh, what I have been doing is, uh, is right, and, um, and, and she knows I'm a courageous uh, activist. If you knew everything you'd give up, you know, when you started this, you know, you've, you've given up your country, you can't go home, you can't see your friends, your family. Would you still have gone down this path? Would you still have pursued human rights law? Yeah. Um, I was never um, regret um, for what I have chosen. Um, yeah, I gave up my, my profession and uh, I can't go back to my home country. But I think my work has contributed a little bit to uh, human rights in China. And I have won some, some cases. My work uh, helped some Chinese people to protect their freedom and, and human rights. And uh, for some cases, I contributed to the release of some uh, wrongful convicted prisoners. They didn't commit any crime, but they were uh, wrongfully uh, arrested and, uh, and, and sentenced to death penalty. So after uh, many years of work, these cases were uh, corrected and they were released from prison. I keep regular contact with Chinese uh, human rights activists and the dissidents. I, I'm a board member of um, six uh, human rights organizations related to uh, human rights in China. And uh, I give um, testimonies at uh, congressional hearings. I share information with international uh, human rights organizations. But it's a, uh, it's a loss um, because I have lost the battlefield. As a human rights activist, I uh, lost the ground. And um, I have the survivor's guilt. Um, many of my friends are in prison and they, uh, they are suffering, but I uh, live in a free country. So that kind of survivor's guilt also pushes me to do more. Are you hopeful for the future of human rights in China? Uh, the human rights situation in China is uh, deteriorating uh, very much. It's very difficult to be optimistic, but I still have hope. There are many human rights defenders who don't give up, even though the risk is much higher than before, even though the Chinese government is tightening its control on society, these people are still um, doing their work. Human rights work uh, is re related to uh, human dignity. I believe the human rights human dignity and freedom will prevail. It takes time, but uh, we have to fight for human rights. 
And I deeply believe that Chinese people will enjoy uh, liberal democracy uh, in the in the future. And uh, what I have done, and what many Chinese people are doing, is contributing a little bit to that goal. China Life is a production of the USC US China Institute. If you haven't already, subscribe to China Life wherever you listen to podcasts to get all of our shows downloaded onto your listening device automatically. While you're there, leave us a review. It really helps other people find out about the show. To learn more about the USC US China Institute and browse our vast collection of resources, such as historical and contemporary documents, China-related events around the US, author interviews, and seminars for educators. Visit our website at china.usc.edu. I'm Craig Stubing, and this is China Life. <laughs>